This is your host, Dale Josie, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of Aging with Grace 55+, plus, designed for anyone who wants to enjoy the journey of a lifetime after age 55. This podcast series is made possible by AARP Kentucky, DPL Financial Partners, and Today's Transitions Magazine. For more information, visit todaystransitions.com to read articles that can help you navigate your own transitions, including their winter edition, Comfort, featuring the article Dream of the Possibilities, which is quite appropriate for the new year. Past experiences of Aging with Grace 55 Plus can be enjoyed on my website, awg55.com, Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. In this episode, meet Diane Gilman, a pro-age advocate, fashion designer, and creator of the wildly popular DG2 Jeans for Women. Diane found her greatest success selling nearly 19 million pairs of her jeans on QVC and HSN, followed by two origin stories. The first features David Lau, founder and CEO of DPL Financial Partners. His work has received coverage in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and other financial media. David shares the beginnings of his stellar career at E-Trade Bank and Telebank, which was the nation's first internet bank. Then stick around and discover how someone who began selling watches and later hired a repairman to fix them in 1887 launched an iconic shopping experience that lasted 132 years. That said, let's get after it. Meaning, welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of Aging with Grace, 55+. plus. In keeping with my uh, usual opening of uh, reflections, um, as we go into this uh, Next episode of Aging with Grace, 55 plus. I'd like to share three points from a wonderful book written by Anna Barnes called How to Be Mindful. She shares three tips, which I would like to share also with you. The first one is take a power shower. The second one is conquer information overload. And in keeping with today's guests, the third point is get dressed mindfully. On the first point, Anna Barnes writes, take a power shower. She suggests transforming your shower or bath by bringing your full attention to the experience. Feel the warm water against your skin and listen to the sound it makes. Savor the scent of the soap and the shampoo and be aware of the variety of textures beneath your hands. Imagine that you're washing yourself clean of any negativity. What a great concept, right? Normally in the mornings, we dash into the shower. We're already planning our to-go list. And then all the things that come into your mind, you shower, you tower off and then towel off. And then you're out, you're trying to find clothes, et cetera, right? Slow it down. What a concept. Feel the warm water against your skin and listen to the sound it makes. Savor the scent of the soap and shampoo and be aware of the variety of textures beneath your hands. All of that giving you more of a power shower in the morning 
versus rushing out the door. And speaking of overload and and the, the, the day that almost seemingly grabs some of us by the throat, number two, she says, conquer information overload. She says, Anna writes, reduce your information consumption. Cancel subscriptions for magazines that you barely have time to read and unsubscribe from catalogs, junk mail, and emails. A cluttered mind is a stressed mind. So free up your mind and make space for the whispers of your heart and soul, concludes Anna Barnes. And you know what? I read an article the other day, uh, I think it was in the Washington Post or somewhere, that um, we're talking about this con- this uh, information overload. Even BizJournal and Talesian, which is another source of, of tracking ads, estimates that we see, are you ready for this? 300 to 700 ad messages per day. An average modern individual is estimated to see 1,000 advertising advertisements, including offline billboards, in every 24 hours because of television, radio, and even the online ad bombardment that we get, all of which contributes, I submit, to a cluttered mind, which becomes a stressed mind. So free up your mind. And let's make space for the whispers of our heart and soul as we try to be calmer and more mindful. And then the final point from um, Anna Barnes' book called Mindful, which is perfectly in keeping with our fascinating next guest, who I thoroughly enjoyed interviewing. I'm sure you will enjoy as well. Let's get dressed mindfully. As you get dressed and undressed, slow the process down and observe your movements are comfortable and flowing, or are they hasty and rushed? Notice the textures and fabrics of your clothes and how they feel on your skin. Value the fact that you're able to make the decision over what you're going to wear today. So instead of just uh, opening up the sock drawer, you open up the other drawer, here's a t-shirt, here's a, uh, you know, whatever, I got to go to the closet, sure, uh, but, 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 there's a shirt, I'll try to put on this shirt, some pants, I'm out the door. Let's slow down, right? Again, slowing down is the is the uh, main point of this moment of reflection. Is that you know when you start feeling the textures, the fabrics of your clothes, and how they feel on the skin, all of that is part of contributing to making sure that you are fully aware of the moment. So, in conclusion, remember to take a power shower, get f- dressed mindfully all of this is tomorrow taking a power shower and getting dressed mindfully and finally conquering the information overload all of which goes back to making us more of human beings than human doings i'm so pleased to welcome to this edition of aging with grace 55 plus diane gilman She's a pro and she's a pro age advocate, fashion designer, and creator of DG2 Denim. And folks, you'll know uh, Diane Gilman from her years at HSN, where she has c- built an empire of jeans, including DG2 Denim. And she also has a, uh, a raw, engaging memoir, Too Young to Be Old How to Stay Vibrant visible, and forever in blue jeans, which resonates with my title of Aging with Grace 55 Plus, which is a time of application of some of our best teachers, including experience. Without further ado, Diane Gilman, welcome to Aging with Grace 55 Plus. How are you? Hi. 
Thank you so much for having me. Well, you're absolutely welcome. And I've just uh, been excited about talking to you. And you've done an amazing job with HSM. But before we get there, before we get there, madam, I want to talk to you about uh, being at the uh, uh, University of California at your first fashion store. I'm a hog for you, baby. Yeah. You know, that <laughs> what a whimsical was, title. I met uh, a woman, uh, a girl at the time, a friend of mine named Rosanna Norton, who actually went on to work with Brian De Palma. And she became the costumer for all Brian De Palma movies, including the original Carrie. But she was also the girlfriend of Jim Morrison from The Doors. Mm-hmm. So it, I was always kind of on the outer inner circle of music. And one day we decided to open up a store. So all the dresses ourselves, every dress, $10. And we needed a name. And she did the research and talked to some of her rock and roll friends and said, they all say the first rock and roll song ever recorded was I'm a hog for you, baby. (laughs) And uh, so we named it that and painted a bright pink pig. Ah. on the door of the store. And then Cher was driving by in her beautiful white Rolls Royce one day with Sonny. Saw it Uh. because it was across the street from Canner's Delicatessen. So that was the big celeb hangout. And Sonny wanted a pastrami on rye. And while he was ordering that, she wandered in, screamed, made the chauffeur come in with Sonny and they took every dress from the store. And yeah, that was how my beginning unprofessional professional career as a designer began. Wow. Well, if we're going to talk about Jim Morrison, my dear, and if we're going to talk about Cher, we've got to talk about Jefferson Airplane, right? Oh, yeah. With regards to Grace Slick. So that was so amazing. That sounds I, I amazing. I met all Share these it. people. You know, there wasn't, there was just the thinnest membrane between you and stars. So it, it wasn't like it would be today where there would be this whole mega structure built around um, a singer. And probably my most interesting encounter, although Gracie Slick and Jefferson Airplane as a group were really gorgeous people and fascinating was I had a boyfriend who was um, a talent agent for Decca records. And one night he called me up. I was in the stupid sorority house. I hated it and said, sneak out and meet me at the whiskey a go-go on the strip. And I said, don't be stupid. It's Monday night. It's dark. The, The club is dark. And he said, not tonight. Uh Just do it. Meet me there. Okay. I sneak out of the sorority house. I get up to the strip. I knock on the door (laughs) of the whiskey. They let me in. He's there. The whole club, which is pretty huge, is dark, except there's a small stage about two feet high. So there maybe were a dozen record agents there with their quote-unquote old ladies like me, we were standing right in front of the stage. Out walks this wild woman, 
giant red hair. Oh, no. feathers to him. Oh, yeah. A bottle it, of are you, Comfort. Are you serious who it opens is? Opens her mouth, and uh, it's Janice yes, Joplin. Yes. And she sings for like 30 minutes oh. with the holding company. And then everybody got to meet her and she said, well, man, I really love your denim jacket because I had hand painted and jeweled this jacket. I just peeled it off and gave it to her. No and way. that's how you got customers. And I, so I dressed rock and roll stars for a number of years. That's how I moved up to San Francisco and met uh, Gracie Slick. But then, you know, somewhere in your mid-20s, late, late mid-20s, you start to think to yourself, time is slipping away. All this partying is great, but you really want to be a professional, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> and that's how I got to New York. Oh, my I gosh. Bought what a ticket and did it. What a great story. I love the idea of taking off your jacket and handing it to, to Janice John. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, just yeah, such yeah. a classic story. So so when you get to New York, and by the way, for our guests, I hope you're enjoying my interview with Diane Gilman. She's a pro-age advocate, fashion designer, and creator of DG2 Denim, which we are tracking our way towards right now. But first, Diane, we're going to make a pit stop at Bloomingdale's because you created a brand in the 80s called Cabal. Yeah, you know, I, I just actually, we just went on eBay and bought a series of Cabal shirts. And so that was, gosh, uh, almost 50 years ago. So here's what happened. I came to New York with maybe a penny in my pocket and knew like one person. And I thought, well, everybody's going to see how talented I am and how much I love designing. And of course, someone is going to hire me. And of course, nobody did. And so in order not to starve to death and be out on the streets, I got a job as a cocktail waitress, worst waitress in history at Max's Kansas City. At night, that's how I met Angie Warhol and everybody in the factory. And in the daytime, oh, humili humiliation. The only job I could get at Bloomingdale's was working in the old lady's girdle <laughs> and bullet bra department before Madonna made those two items famous. <laughs> it was tragedy for me. I never, I thought, it just oh. can't get much lower than this. Well, then one day, because I read Women's Were Daily Like a Bible, I saw a woman purposely walking across the floor at Bloomingdale's, and I thought, where did I see that woman? I, what is that face? It was a fashion coordinator. And I ran up to her and basically said, hi, I'm Darian Gilman. I have a fashion collection. I'd love to show it to you. And I, I cornered her and I kind of wouldn't let her go until she said, okay, okay, okay. Next month I have 15 minutes, you know, at 8 a.m. on a Thursday. Uh, so I show up with my little singer sewing machine made collection, just seven pieces, but I made it all by hand. Uh, and she went berserk. And she called the president of Abraham and Strauss, who had a direct, you know, train line to Bloomingdale's from Brooklyn. 
a big department store also. She said, just get on the train right now. I don't care what you're doing. Come. I want you to meet this girl. And they ordered $100,000 worth of clothing. And I burst out in tears. And he (laughs) said, what is wrong with you? And I said, I don't have the money to buy the fabric. I don't have the money to pay the sewers. This is Mm -hmm. huge. You know that Bloomingdale's funded me the money. They paid for everything. Wow. And gave me all the windows and gave me week after week two-page double-trunk ads in the New York Times, and I was off and running. Wow, and what there a story. was Cabal. Yeah, and my, my life has been like that, where it's just been, you go to a low, and then you zoom up to a high, and then yeah. you go to a low, yeah. Kind of like, I kind of like to think it's like the Frank Sinatra story, <laughs> or, you know, but I think well, he did a little more than I did. So He did a little more than he did, than you yeah. did. But I see the symmetry. He did it. He has songs that did it my way. So yeah. that is that going to be your theme song, uh, Diane? Totally, <laughs> it is totally my it is totally my theme song. I think I'm also someone who is not at all geared to work for big yeah. corporations because I like to do it my way. My way. Well, you know what? What uh, we're going to go continue moving forward here, but I want to make a quick point as this occurs to me when you're saying this. I admire your hubris and being able to say, look, this is great, but I don't have the money. I don't have you instead of trying to uh, fake it till you make it, you uh-huh. load your cars. I said, because that is too huge of a gamble to say, I'll do it and then walk away like, because there's no way you could have done it. So I, I imagine, think, I imagine the humility of you having to say, I, I can't do this. I think, you know, I always felt that if you designed from the heart, because I was someone who really knew from the time I was a toddler, what I was going to do with my life, which was design fashion. I think if you always go to your heart and open up your heart with whatever you're doing, you can't fail. You're going to succeed in some form. It's that heart energy is going to connect with people. So it's sort of my way. I like that. Not only your heart connecting, but also not only your passion, rather connecting, but also your heart, when you say as a youngster, you were two years old, you you create a stick figure, you put a polka dot dress on it. Oh, yeah. And then I made polka dot <laughs> socks on it, too. And I remember that all the neighbor's children would bring me their dolls and I would make I would sew little little wardrobes for them. I had no interest in playing with baby dolls. I wanted to dress them. Oh, wow. From day one. Yeah. That was my whole thing. Uh-huh. I was one of those humans that was born with a destiny and a purpose. And it just simply wasn't always clear how to fulfill that or get there. But in the long run, windy road, I did. Oh, that's so good. There's also a rock song, too, on that, too. It's a long, winding road. I like Yeah, references. I love that song. <laughs> I do, too. But <laughs> I do, too. But we, we're going to get back on track because we could go that way. Because uh, I got also, you know, we talked about uh, what was that song from uh, Jefferson Airplane? I love White Rabbit. Oh, my gosh. Rabbit. A classic. But anyway, it's got nothing to do with aging with grace 55 plus. Other than I'm enjoying this conversation with you. <laughs> Um, so, so Diane, let's track. We, so we're in, the, we're in the 80s. You got your Cabal brand at Bloomingdale's. 
Um, and then you did you make a hard move towards HSN or how did that come about in terms of your? So your I had Cabal and I had I I um wanted to do something bigger and I met a guy who had actually founded Gloria Vanderbilt Jeans and jeans were always still in my heart, but what was really in my heart was getting to somebody who was a real high-level executive and could put my name out there in front of the world. One day, he came to me and said, close your eyes, open your hand, and feel this. And I thought, uh-oh, what is uh, this uh, about? Oh, no. <laughs> like, anytime someone asks me to do something like that, it doesn't <laughs> turn out well. <laughs> but in this case, it did. <laughs> it was. A swatch of fabric. And he said, what is it? And I said, buckskin suede. And he said, no, it's washable silk. And I said, don't be ridiculous. You Mm. can't wash silk. And he said, well, you can now. So we introduced washable silk into America with the Diane Gilman collection. And in the late, the mid to late 80s, going into the early 90s. My name, the Diane Gilman Collection, was in every department store with a giant department all over America and Harrods in London. So um, everybody was very happy making a lot of money except me, which Mm -hmm. always happens, right? You're... You're the talent. They're the suits. They put in the money. They understand the money. And you rarely get what you're worth. So um, which was completely uh, stupid. And it I'm was sorry, also. Did you, say, did you say you sued them? Is that what you said? Yeah, I sued them. Okay, I sued ahead. them. And it turned out out of a 600 page contract. There was exactly one sentence somewhere down the line, page 472, that would not allow them. They wanted to take my name public on the Hang Seng Index in uh, Hong Kong. And there was one sentence that wouldn't allow them to do that as long as they had a lawsuit. So eventually we settled. But in the meantime, I was um, desperate. I couldn't work. I couldn't use my name. Um I was totally cut off and it was pretty, they were pretty scary guys. So anyway, one day I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe I'm going to have to go back to waitressing and back to (laughs) Kansas city, but that was not a good alternative. I get a phone call and they're like, hi, we're QVC. Why come on air and design for us? And I thought you're joking. Like, you're joking. No, no, we're not joking. It's really us. And I said, you know, I would love to, but I can't. I'm in the middle of a lawsuit. I can't use my name. And they said, oh, that's okay. We'll just call you Diane. And that's how I got on TV. Another total, like, out of the blue. All you have to do in life, I think, is open doors and recognize opportunities. Well, for our listeners, what a perfect way to end this segment with Diane Gilman. She's a a pro-age advocate, fashion designer, and creator of DG2 Denim. 
Uh, just a great story of creating an incredible line of clothes for making women look beautiful, no matter what age, no matter what body type. And I love your legacy of be, love of the craft, just doing something right. That'll be part yep. of your legacy moving forward. Diane, I truly appreciate your time. And thank you so much. And we're going to have you come back at some point because Fantastic. you got so much more to say about aging. And I really want to palm that. <laughs> I do. Time. I do. Good. Have a great thank day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. So listeners of my podcast series, Aging with Grace 55 Plus, you know, in the past, we've uh, had a guest on, David Lau, who returns today. And I'm grateful he's no stranger to Aging with Grace 55 Plus. Our past interviews have included discussing retirement tools for well financial well-being, guaranteed income for life, the psychology of investing. And then we also discussed the risk adverse and the follower. Another episode was investing in your future and more, all of which can be enjoyed by visiting my website, awg55.com or listening on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. In full candor, DPL Financial sponsors this podcast series, for which I am truly grateful, in addition to AARP Kentucky and today's Transitions Magazine. Be sure to read their winter edition titled Comfort Online Now at todaystransitions.com. So, David, welcome to Aging with Grace. How are you? Terrific, Dale. Great to see you again. Thank you. Good to see you again. And, you know, we, we've talked about some of these topics that we just shared uh, and more, and we've always been very topically oriented, right? So I thought today we would talk about the backstory. Um, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about in the beginning. And so, David, uh, in the beginning, it looks like your uh, story picks up in uh, Jersey City, New Jersey, which is kind <laughs> of a hard, hard scrabble place. Would we say that's the beginning? That that's where I was born for sure. And uh, it, it's turned around quite a bit, you know, yes, when, it has. So there, it's, it's become quite a financial services hub mm-hmm. and, you know, has really turned around and, and not unexpectedly, right. It's directly across from New York city. Uh, you know, there's a train that runs, you know, under the, you know, under the river there and, and brings you into the city. So you would expect it's pretty prime real estate, but not so when I was born there. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I, you know, did not live there long. Mm-hmm. Um, spent most of my time in in Northern Virginia, and now am you know here in Louisville. Yeah, yeah. I think if going back to my travel days, I think uh, Liberty State Park is there, right, with the Statue of Liberty and Ellis Island, just to kind of fix it in people's minds what Jersey City, New Jersey is. Correct. That that's correct. And right near Hoboken, where Frank Sinatra is from, and um, all kinds of you know neat places. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of neat places, here's 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 where it gets really funny for for me, anyways. So I was doing my research on you. Um, your first paying job was cutting lawns, shoveling snow, raking leaves. You were basically hustling in the neighborhood, even at a young age, right? That that's right. Anything to you know, anything to make money. You know, wash cars. You know, cut lawns. Um, you know, ultimately, one of my you know business revelations early on. So this is when I'm, you know, not even a teenager. Uh, right. You know, my father said, if you really want to make money cutting lawns, you got to get some of your friends to do it for you. You go, <laughs> you go find the jobs, and then you get some friends to cut the lawns, and you take a little cut. <laughs> and, so, and so started started doing that after a little while. That didn't that didn't 
you know, last too long. I, I wound up uh, mostly pushing the mower myself, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it, you know, gave me some insights as to, you know, how you might want to think about scaling a business. Oh, that is hilarious. Even as a teenager, scaling your business, you have to enlist the help of others to make, to make it possible. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that is hilarious. And so we'll, we'll go forward because, um, uh, you know, as you got into the financial, I'm curious how you got into the financial services sector. And one of those places you um, touched was the E-Trade, what is now the E-Trade platform. How did that come about? And what was your influence there with E-Trade uh, platform? Yeah, so I had been, you know, part of the management team that started the first internet bank in the country back in the mid '90s. It was called Telebank. The notion, as you could probably tell by the name, was you know kind of pre-internet that we we launched it. And the notion was let's create a branchless bank, and it really resonated with me because the purpose of it was to say bank branches, buildings with mm -hmm. people and furniture and computers and safes is a pretty expensive way to sell a commodity product and service a commodity product. Back mm -hmm. then, everybody's walking into the bank branch and we thought, well, if you can eliminate the bank branch and do business with clients directly, you know, through the telephone, through mail, you know, mutual funds and others were doing it at the time. You could provide a much better value to the to the end consumer. And that, you know, mm -hmm. resonated with me, you know, tremendously. Mm -hmm. um, so I was the chief marketing officer there. We grew that bank, you know, from nothing to like 16 billion in assets in just under five years. And we merged with E-Trade mm -hmm. uh, and it became E-Trade Bank. And so I spent some time, you know, at E-Trade before, you know, helping, you know, other institutions build, you know, internet banks, including mm -hmm. the first internet bank in Japan through Shinsei Bank, uh, along with Merrill Lynch uh, and and a few others. Mm -hmm. Well, I, yeah, I think that's interesting that you have such hands-on experience. Uh, and, and I like the motto of your the motto of your company. Which is, uh, you know, that the the uh, the investment advisors and the money goes to the investor. That this is a commission free product, and I think that's revolutionary. How did you stumble on that? That's right. So after you know, kind of consulting for a while, you know, in building banks, I rejoined the founder of of Telebank and started an insurance carrier. And we we're looking at how do how do you you know, create better consumer value and in insurance. And and I'm talking about, you know, life insurance, annuities, things like that, not, you know, auto insurance and, you know, you know, property and casualty, that kind of stuff. Right. And and the way to do that was not to eliminate bricks and mortar like bank branches, but it was to eliminate commissions. Mm -hmm. And you know, commissions really drive the price of those products up for the consumer. And you know, many people have always said, you know, the the you know, often those products can be better for the person who sold them than the person who bought them. So we we really wanted to you know make a foray into trying to change you know the pricing models uh you know within you know life and annuities because they're important products and we wanted to you know make sure that consumers could get good value so mm -hmm. we built we built that carrier you know ulti you know i i was there 10 years as chief operating officer uh you know we were really successful and ultimately you know sold it to nationwide mhm mm and mm -hmm. that's when I, you know, built, you know, DPL, uh, which 
kind of the backstory there is when we built the internet bank, every bank in the country kind of had to match our services. You know, Mm -hmm. Bank of America had to launch an internet bank. You know, they had to provide bill payment and online access and things like that. Um, They couldn't match our pricing. We could provide much better products, but they had to match the service because people started to demand it. Mm -hmm. And in insurance, that didn't quite happen when we built Jefferson National. So, I thought the better way to drive change in the industry would be to start an independent platform. So I mm-hmm. built DPL kind of modeled off of Charles Schwab. You know, Charles Schwab got to be Charles Schwab because they built the first no load, meaning commission free, low cost marketplace of mutual funds. Mm-hmm. You know, before that, mutual funds were, you know, riddled with commissions and things like that. And in today's day and age, that's been a huge trend in financial services, dropping costs, eliminating expenses to provide better values value to the consumer. But it really hadn't happened in insurance yet. And so, you know, DPL, we work with, you know, 20 odd carriers across the country, you know, all, you know, the major national carriers mm-hmm. to help reprice products and bring out, you know, products that are better value to the consumer. Mm-hmm. Am I? I also had a question for you about the Charles Schwab model. I imagine you looked at several different models, and this is the one that you settled on. I mean, you just right. I mean, you just didn't, or did you come out of the yeah. box saying this is how I want to do it? it? It it was pretty much out of the box. I mean, you know, Schwab's been really effective in in delivering consumer value. I, I admire Schwab as a company. I think they're a really good company, and and the model just worked for what I wanted to do. Uh, so, you know, effectively they leveraged their platform and their technology to bring, you know, access to consumers, you know, directly to get mutual funds without having to pay, you know, without having to pay commissions and pay loads and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and that's what I wanted to do for insurance. So it was something that, you know, just really, mo- you know, mirrored you know, the, the vision that I had for, for what I wanted to create here. Mm-hmm. Well, then that takes us to the present time as we go to our close, which is uh, being here as founder and CEO of DPL Financial Partners. Uh, what's the best thing about being CEO? And then what's the worst, David? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, the, the best thing, it, it, they're probably the same answer. The, be, the best thing is I, you know, I get to make the decisions. Uh, and the worst thing is sometimes I've got to make the decisions. You know, there, <laughs> there, there's, there's no higher authority, right? So, you know, it's, it's good to be surrounded by really good people who can, you know, who can help you and, and, you know, who are better at things than, than you are. And, you know, so you can have good, good counsel from those around you but you know ultimately you know as the saying goes the buck stops here yes and and that's a good thing so i can you know do the things i want but sometimes it's you know decisions are hard and uh you know it's always it's hard to know if you're right um so you have to rely upon your experience and your gut and and uh you know try to make good decisions so let's say a young a youngster is sitting out here. Uh, he's uh, been cutting lawns from a hard scrabble neighborhood. He's uh, he's been working in all these different avenues to get to where you are. What advice would you give a new CEO CEO or president who's listening to you as your final word for today? 
Yeah, the the piece of advice I you know think of for CEOs is you know in this role you really have to be focused on on growth and the future and the next thing and you know, as you're you know building out the company so you have to migrate from being the person that does things to the person that you know directs things so you know you really you know, need to elevate yourself and you, and of course, probably the most important thing, surround yourself with great people um, so that, you know, you've, you, you don't feel like you need to be involved. You've got complete confidence in, in the team around you uh, to help execute on your vision. David Lau is the founder and CEO of DPL Financial Partners, which is, which is a privately held financial services firm that specializes in the development and distribution of low-cost, commission-free insurance and annuity products, as well as technology-driven product discovery tools and education for registered investment advisors and individual investors. More information can be found at DPLFP. Dot com. David, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to you returning in the future, I hope. Excellent, Dale. Great to see you. Great to chat. Today's episode began with the story of the iconic fashion designer, Diane Gilman, who created the wildly popular DG2 denim line for women. With this theme of clothing designers in mind, let's see if you can guess the name of the following retailer of general merchandise, tools, home appliances, and so much more. The founder of this iconic American brand created a business to sell watches by mail order. After relocating his business to Chicago in 1887, he hired someone to repair watches and established a mail order business for watches and jewelry. The company's first catalog was offered the same year. In 1889, he sold his business, but a few years later, both he and his watch repairman created another mail-order operation in 1893. In 1895, Julius Rosenwald, a wealthy clothing manufacturer, recognized the potential of the mail-order business. This visionary mercantile wrote the company's soon-to-be-famous catalogs. The company grew phenomenally by selling a range of merchandise at low prices to farms and villages that had no other convenient access to retail outlets. The introduction of rural free delivery in 1896 and of parcel post in 1913 by the U.S. Postal Service enabled the watchman and his repairman to send their merchandise to even the most isolated customers. In 1924, Robert E. Wood joined the company and became its guiding genius for the next 30 years. Wood noted that the automobile was making retail outlets in urban centers more accessible to consumers in outlying suburbs and rural areas. To exploit this opportunity, he opened the company's first retail store in Chicago in 1925, and the number of stores increased so rapidly that by 1931, retail sales had topped mail-order sales. Matter of fact, the company flourished in the economic boom after World War II and was not seriously challenged as America's largest retailer until the 1980s, when the Kmart Corporation surpassed it in total sales. Walmart eventually surpassed both and became, before the end of the 20th century, the largest retailer in the world. 
To survive, this former catalog company began selling off some subsidiaries in 1992 in order to concentrate on its lagging core retail store operations. Regrettably, consumer sales continued to fall. By 2014, this once dominant retailer began shuttering stores and in 2019 filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. So, back to the beginning of this retail story. Have you guessed the name of the man who began selling watches by mail order in Minneapolis, Minnesota in 1886? His name was Richard, as in Richard W. Richard W. Sears. Eventually, Sears relocated his business to Chicago. And whom did he hire in 1887 to repair the watches he sold? Why, his name was Alva. Alva C. Roebuck. And together, the retailer and his watch repairman established a mail-order business for watches and jewelry that evolved over 132 years to also selling clothing, household goods, hardware, appliances, and so much more. And now you know the origins of one of America's first giant retailers, Sears and Roebuck, which, as sales boomed, became known as the iconic Sears, Roebuck, and Company. Well, that concludes Season 3, Episode 2. Many thanks to the truly creative clothing designer, Diane Gelman, creator of DG2 denim jeans for women, and the always interesting David Lau, sharing Part 1 of a two-part story of the origins of DPL Financial Partners. This series is sponsored by AARP Kentucky, Today's Transitions, and DPL Financial Partners, which is committed to strengthening financial plans with powerful products, delivering value for advisors and clients alike. For more info, visit dplfp.com. Drop me a line, as I love to hear from you. Please send it to Dale. D-A-L-E at A-W-G 55.com. Remember, aging is not a time of diminishment, but the application of lessons taught by some of our best teachers, including experience. And now for the last thought of the day from James Clear, author of the book, Atomic Habits, James writes, good habits make time your ally, bad habits make time your enemy. So until next time, this has been your host, Dale Josie of Aging with Grace 55 plus.